listening, ladies and gentlemen, trees and non-binaries, to another episode of the Hostile Takeover, your show right here on the Fantastic Universes Podcast Network, where I, Adam Ray, the Izzet Tinkerer, and a very special guest talk about our favorite things in the world of gaming, PC, console, tabletop, and everything in between. Just want to open up the show with a minor disclaimer slash apology. It's been a long time since we've been here on your airwaves and in your earpieces, and we're glad to be back. We missed you. And with that little addendum, we have to come at you with another apology. In the last episode, we discussed a uh, potential set review for Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, the previous expansion for Magic the Gathering. Given the timings of things and the literal release that I have open in front of my two-screen display that we're going to discuss about, it may not be best of a fit to discuss an older set at this point, but we have some different avenues to explore. But before we do, we want to thank you, dear listeners, for supporting us over on Patreon, fantasticuniverses.com. Uh, for those of you listening to us through our Patreon support, or for those of you who are eager to pledge your allegiance, you'll full well know that you'll get all of our written content many days in advance, as well as extended and uninterrupted episodes of every show we produce, be it uh, the Fantasy Universe's general podcast, Hostile Takeover, and a new venture coming to you very, very soon. So do keep your eyes and ears open for new audio goodness. But now, back to the main event. As I said, we uh, had a lovely break over in cyberpunk Japanese myth grandeur of Kamigawa Neon Sinistry, but Magic are very good at flooding us with multiple releases a year, and the latest expansion, as of right now that you are listening to this dear listener, Streets of New Capenna has finally hit your game store shelves, pre-releases are done and dusted. We are now looking at the new set, entering standard, entering modern, entering all of our favourite formats, but some of us may be a little bit out of sync with things, coming out of the lockdowns and the world being closed, we need to have a good long look at these new Art Deco 1930s gangster-flavoured cards. And I can't do this by myself, I have to turn to a dear friend who will take over and take me on a tour through the streets of New Capenna. Connor, Akariu, my good pal, how are you? I am doing great today, Adam. It's lovely to be here with you and to be able to talk about one of our favourite card games, Magic the Gathering, especially with the advent of a new set. The Streets of New Capenna coming out and giving us some very interesting mechanics and artworks to look at. Yeah, I, I just want to like open up before we talk about the playability of the cards that uh, as of late, magic has been hitting the flavor on the head between like the fucking myth of Keldheim, the Harry Potter-esque antics of Strixhaven to the cyberpunk meets Japanese myth of Kamigawa and now 1920s Gangs of New York streets of new capenna they've they've been doing a very good job just to like everything just look crisp and tasty oh i absolutely have to agree the art direction of magic over the past few years has been absolutely insane i am loving it and we're seeing a lot of new artists make their mark on the in the game so although we still have our old favorites such as seb mckinnon we are also getting brand new artists coming into the fold and showing off what they can do do love to see that, but uh, there's always going to be an opportunity to admire the cards when we crack our packs on in paper or on arena. But uh, we do love to shuffle up and get games of all flavors and all kinds. Because you and I, Connor, I call us dabblers. We uh, we ramble in with uh, commandable. We want to go to relax and the various arena and our magic online formats where we want to compete. So I think you'd have saved us the trouble and gone and had a deep long look at all of the many spicy ways that. Capella can tune up our decks, wouldn't you say? Oh yes, I, I've taken a look through and seen more for a casual eye. I've taken a bit of a step back from competitive magic for a while, focusing on the other card games such as Flesh and Bloods. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Do look out for that, listeners. <laughs> Gotta listen out for that. However, magic will always be near and dear to my heart, and so looking through the new set, I would say that the power level has definitely taken a bit of a step back and more of a focus for the current standard as well as for Commander. There are a few cards here and there that could be modern playable, Pioneer, definitely. But for the overarching set, I would say that it's fairly middling. We don't have another instance of Thrones of Eldraine, thankfully. Thankfully, indeed. That that set did a very weird thing to multiple formats, so I'm glad to see things start to calm down a little, as it were. Oh yeah, they're very much so. And the set I am absolutely loving for its flavour is very well built into itself, definitely. I'd agree with that. So I'm sure you have many 
picks and takes for many different like, angles of play without like the heavy set and uh high stakes tables very unfitting for this for this uh way of being um with pre-releases fresh on our mind there was a lot of uh, good picks for limited and there's a lot we could look at here is what is on your mind with Capenna flavored goodness uh so i would like to first off with a few of the commons that really stood out to me when i was looking for this set either design space that we haven't really seen before or really standout cards within limited and uh, well, we should we should do this in a proper order which is in Wuburg. Very nice. And to start it off with a draft common that even Luis Scott Vargas himself has said is an overperformer. It's Inspiring Overseer, which is two and a white for a 2 1. Angel Cleric, Angel being a relevant card due, in, due to a rare within the set. Flying, and when it enters the battlefield, you will gain a life and draw a card. I remember one of my favorite draft seasons out there has to be uh, original Kaladesh, and Windrake was always something I slammed quite aggressively, just uh, three mana, two, two flying. The downside of it being a two, one here is probably relevant to cards like um, the Casualty Drain spell, but um, honestly, the fact that it like gains a life and cycles you definitely makes up for it, so I can see this being a role filler and a loss of uh, white X limited decks. Oh yeah, very much so. It's very... Oh, Rarely say it's a pack one, pick one, or even a pick three. However, this is the type of card you would probably want within your decks. The ability to cycle through as well as put our body onto the into play at quite a cheap mana cost is very uh, underrated. And also the life gain. Yes, it may only be one, but if you've got one and your opponent has zero, you are still the victor. Very true. And I think there's a few lifey x payoffs in black and white in this set so it's not irrelevant uh extra claws here and there very much so but now moving on we're going to go to blue and we're going to look at an aura that we've seen similar effects of in the past but not one for this cheap and that is witness protection yeah blue yep. enchantment aura and it says enchant creature Enchanted creature loses all abilities and is a green and white citizen creature with base power and toughness 1-1 named Legitimate Business Person. Legitimate Business Person. Well, as a proud and obnoxious non-binary person as I am, the fact that it's a legitimate business person is uh, doing wonderful things to my mind. Uh, Dominaria, was it where they made the text change to make his or her just a irrelevant clause was just yeah. great for me? Yeah. They just change it to, I believe it's just like play or just ignored it entirely, which yep. is a very nice touch. Very nice touch. And again, they've made it here because uh, it always makes me think to the end of um, Goodfellas where um, Raylia, his character's freaking out because he thinks he's being followed by a surveillance helicopter. But I'm just a, <laughs> I'm just a respect, I'm just a legitimate business person. There's, no, there's nothing wrong here. But uh, the effect as a card as it is, just to remove all a text to to borrow a legends of runeterra terms silence a creature is pretty powerful um changing its colors could also be quite relevant in this limited format as well uh shrinking it down always helpful but um just the combination of it all for one blue mana is an immense bit of value i would say yes it is a we've seen these effects before in cards like frogify which is very similar but it costs two mana mm. the fact it only costs one here is important However, I believe the reason why it's reduction is because of the fact that it makes it a green and white citizen, a very relevant piece of text within this card, as there are citizen um, payoffs within the set where you can either pump your citizens or you gain cost reductions based on the amount of citizens you have. There's uh, some anthem effects for citizens by themselves. So sometimes if you're playing into a matchup with Unlimited and you play citizens against your green-white X opponent, it could potentially bite you back, but yeah. you do remove their ability. Very true. Uh, there will always be corner cases where this is actually really bad for you, but I'd say nine times out of ten, it's a great way to just shut down some big flyer or scary threat that your opponent has that you just can't deal with otherwise. So it's a, it's not a very good pickup for limited. Oh yeah, I agree. Now for black, we have our first instance of a new mechanic. Ooh. Which is the black card Gerda Goons. It's four and a black for an Ogre Warrior, which is a 4 4. 
When it dies, you create a tapped 2-2 black rogue creature token, and it has the new keyword, Blitz. Now, Oops. for you, my our dear audience, Blitz reads, if you cast this spell for its Blitz, blitz cost, it gains haste, and when this creature dies, sacrifice a card, as well as sacrificing it at the beginning of the next end step, and you do that for free and a black. So, this reads pretty similar to... A weird, like, baby of dash meets unearth. So you're playing, you're playing the uh, creature for a much more discounted rate, but you keep them for one turn. But you don't lose out on any card advantage because you will always draw a card to replace it, regardless of how the creature dies. Yep, exactly. You're, no matter how the creature dies within that turn, it you will draw a card. In fact, if the in commander, there are ways to increase the longevity of the card through cards like um. Sundial of the Infinite, infinite yeah. as well as a Becca, where if you can skip the turn, it still keeps the line of text saying that when it dies, you draw a card. That is good text. I have been looking into weird ways to break Obeka because I would like to play a character like Obeka in Dungeons & Dragons, but um, this would be a good piece for that. Yeah, the Blitz mechanic is very interesting. I, I enjoy it a lot. And the reason why this card is so powerful is because at its base level, it's four and a black for four four and a two two. Yeah, that draws you a card. And but you can also pay four to swing it in for four, which will then draw your card and give you a two two. I feel like a lot of the uh, blitz cards do have the upside where you don't feel so bad about sacrificing them because like the drawing the cards are flaw here, but there's the onboard effect of some of the rares and the legends as well as this cards like leave the battlefield like dies effect. They do seem very well statted and being very on flavor for Jund or Riveteers, as it were. Yes, it very much does. I am loving the flavor of Blitz, and I'm liking the idea of end of turn sacrifice matters. Yeah, there's a there's um definitely some upside to it, even within the set as well as like other wider Jund effects. Because uh, you feed this to a guy with um with Devour like your Proshes or your Bloodsport Thronex, and you don't feel so bad. No, definitely not. And then, of course, we've already spoke about the ways you can use it with Sundial of the Infinite in your non-Obeka decks to be able to keep the creature around beyond that turn. It's a very interesting mechanic just to be able to like end of the turn, so you do get a lot of uh, upside for it if you're able to cheat the turn timings if you if you can. Yeah, very much so. Speaking of value for when creatures died next we've got a red card what dicky fingers yeah. of course if we're going to the 1920s new york style or the air picking the pockets of those that will come across in our builder or in sticky fingers is a red card which is an enchantment aura it, you can cast for just red the enchanted creature has menace as well as whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, create a treasure token. And last, the final line of text, when enchanted creature dies, draw a card. The fact that it has that last line makes this aura so playable. With auras, you always feel so bad getting the creature removed, because you're effectively two for one in yourself. Your creature's dying and the, the enchantment that's on it is going to the graveyard as well. So getting some of that cost mitigated is pretty good. It does read pretty well, but between that and the mass amounts of treasure synergy in this in this set, yeah, oh, we does a lot of. Be talking about that treasure. Yeah, synergy. we we will already be we'll we will be talking about that. We've uh, had a few long discussions uh, off recordings, uh, dear listeners. So um, it'll be good to sort of unpack that for you to hear about. But uh, maybe maybe there is such a thing as uh, more money than sense, as it were. What are you up to, wizards? Oh. Very much so, especially with the increase in rate of set releases and the infinite cosmos known as spoiler season, mm. the never ending. Because even with this set fresh and now hitting our game store shelves, um, we're also immediately looking ahead to Commander Legends Baldur's Gates, and we're very aware that standard rotation is coming just in the set after next one with uh, Dominaria Reborn and the Interbrothers War. So. There's always the next expansion on the line and in our minds, but uh, let's continue to enjoy the gangs of New York, the streets of New Cabana. And 
what kind of streets of Nukapenna would it be without some thieves? So our green pick for, in my opinion, one of the most powerful commons I have seen in a while is Jewel Thief. Two and a green for a free free cat rogue with vigilance, trample, and when it enters the battlefield, you create a treasure token. So again, with all of the random treasure synergies we've got going on, either this amounts to a two mana three three with vigilance and trample, or a three mana three three with vigilance and trample, and a token you can sacrifice to one of many many other effects that you could very easily have access to, either in limited or to metal craft or affinity or improvise or a lot of other effects it's yeah the treasures we'll have a long talk about the treasures but as a green common it just does so much yeah we know both myself and adam know the card we're going to have our treasure discussion about when we hit it it is my pick for the most powerful non-rare or mythic card in the set for limited yes when we get there we will probably have our discussion for treasure. Yeah, we, the Jewel I, Thief is so amazingly statted. Oh, it's unreal. Yeah, and it's a and it's a very good pick to have alongside that troublesome card in a dedicated limited treasure deck. So it does check out. It really does. Very much. But now, though, we shall move on to our uncommons, getting closer and closer to the card that both myself and Adam dread. It's fine. It's fine. It's not unbeatable and limited. No. We'll, we'll, we'll unpack that li- later. We don't want to have too many spoilies. True. As for right uh, now. So now we should have some fun cards to talk about uh, in our uncommon section. Firstly is typically aristocrat decks like their one drops that die and do something. Especially if they give you card advantage. And for now, Red has brought us our, its newest offering of Sacrifice Outlet, uh, of Sacrifice Fodder, sorry, in Unlucky Witness, a red 1-1 human citizen, when Unlucky Witness dies, exile the top two cards of your library, until your next end step, you may play one of those cards. So good. It amounts to drawing three with your village rights. I was about to say Glimpse Beyond there, but they're very similar cards. Yeah, drawing three with your village rights and uh, still pinging something with the Mayhem Devil if you still sacrifice it. If it jump blocks in combat, you're still replacing itself with with a form of selection. It does so much for a one-mana creature with no abilities. Oh, very much so. And especially in a set where one of the keywords and uh, has, that has been introduced is about sacrificing your creatures. We shall talk about this a bit very shortly. But the ability to slot into something like in Pioneer with its red-black sacrifice decks, as well as in other in Commander where it can be used within your Corvold decks as a new way of getting card advantage. I really do like this card a lot. I feel like I'm even more glad that Lurus got hit with the Banhammer because Lurus would have loved a card like this. Oh, very much so. But Lurus is a just a ridiculous card. Yeah. The amount of people that called it the most powerful card in Magic, and it was actually arguable. It was definitely up there. That. Up there. It's oh, up there God. with your forces, your dazes, and your Narset Parter Veils. Um, not in that conversation. More in the Black Lotus level of conversation. I mean, yeah, because you go... Before the Errata... Yeah, before the errata, you go Lotus, Lurus, bring back Lotus, Lotus again, do something else, go. Lurus was the, is the only non-anti-manual dexterity rules mess around card that is banned in, like, in Vintage. Yeah, that's why. A format, a format allows you to play Black Lotus, Library of Alexandria... Um, all the Moxes, Oath of Druids, Lurus is above it all. <laughs> well, it's because they make it an effort never to actually ban anything in Vintage, they just restrict things. So if it's yeah. banned, it's because it is unreasonable. And it's it is. You only ever want to play one Lurus anyway. Yeah, but still, like that's that's the whole deal. They couldn't. They they had to ban it because restricting it does nothing. Yeah. Exactly. Continuing with our red train, we do have Rob the Archives. 
So we had our one-one citizen, the unlucky witness, and now we have found a crime he is a witness to. Ah, that's for a good flavor. Yeah, Rob the archives is one in a red for a sorcery that reads casualty one, a new arc, a new keyword that reads: as you cast a spell, you may sacrifice a creature with one power one or greater. When you do, copy the spell. Exile the top two cards of your library. You may play those cards this turn. So on its floor, if you sacrifice just like a random citizen token you've got lying around, which is not a hard thing to do in this limited format, it's two mana, nearly draw four. But with Unlucky Witness, it's two, it's two mana, draw six. Yeah. Well, two mana, draw, uh, draw four, pick, and then pick one of the top two. Yeah. So draw four and then and then one or the other picked uh, the last two. Yeah, yeah. For, for limited where you've got that much like land fixing, mana fixing, and treasure, you can refill very well if you just like windmill slam this off at the top in the late game. Between that and just the impulsive draws that you can get in the former Lurus shells that would have liked to have sacked a creature, but then had lots of cheap draws off of the top anyway. This is as good a draw spell, if not better, than um, uh, Light Up the Sage. Oh, agreed. The, the advantage of Light Up the Sage is, of course, it only costs one mana when you have Spectacle activated. Yeah. How, and as well as Light Up the Sage extending the cards until the end of your next turn, whereas Rob the Archives is only until this turn. But there is definitely an argument between them. Two versus four being a big one. Yeah. And that. And now, one of my favorite cards. I love the artwork. I love the flavor, and is the one of the first cards with casualty that we saw. That being Grizzly Sigil. Oh yeah. Black for a sorcery. The one downside of it, unfortunately. Casualty one as you cast a spell. Sacrifice a power one or greater to copy it. Choose target creature or planeswalker. If it was dealt non-combat damage this turn, deal 3 damage to it and you gain 3 life. Otherwise, deal 1 damage to it and you gain 1 life. There's a lot to unpack with this card. If you have, like, above-average knowledge of the rules, it can do some very funny things if you casualty this, which is one of the things we talked about um, before the recording. So uh, it would also be a good opportunity to this to sort of unpack casualty as a mechanic and your appreciation for it but as a as a removal slash burn drain spell it does a lot for one mana even if it's only a sorcery well firstly i feel like we should talk about the rules interaction of this card alone yeah which is with grizzly sigil if you pay its casualty costs and you make both the cards target the same creature assuming the creature has or planeswalker if the creature or planeswalker has not received non-combat damage to turn the copy from the casualty will deal one damage and you'll gain one life. Upon the second one resolving, it will see that there has been non-combat damage dealt to the target, dealing it free and gaining you free, meaning that for one mana and a sacrifice, you can deal four damage to something and gain four life. That's the that's the true power side of things, and that was the, the tricky little rules interaction I was thinking of, because um to like point some amount of non-combat damage at something, but not kill it outright, you are still wasting a card, but using this onboard effect of the card is just incredibly powerful. Just be able to drain for, most likely kill something, all for one mana and a sacrifice. But then again, you're probably sacrificing either something you don't care about or something that will get you value, like uh, like the Unlucky Witness. Yeah, and then we also have cards such as in Pioneer with Mayhem Devil, hmm. which would then be able to ping it again before you resolve the copy, allowing you to drain it for six. Yep. Dealing seven damage to one target, which would kill vast majority of stuff in the format. It really would. And it uh, a card like this and all of the cards with casualty would slot very well into not to beat a dead cat, not to be the body of a dead cat instead of a dead horse, um the Lurus shells and any Mayhem Devil shells. Anything that plays uh cat oven really. But um but speaking of cat, cat is a very good thing you would want to feed to a casualty spell, or at least a casualty one spell. But uh, casualty as its own mechanic, I like that Grixis slash Maestros in this expansion has an instance and sorceries matters mechanic because blue, black, and red all together do have some of the stronger 
instant sorceries across the history of the game. Green and white are much more creature focused, so them having a spells mechanic makes a lot of sense. But the precedence, the precedence of a casualty itself is still very strong, and I feel like you have a lot to say to sing casualties' praises. I absolutely love casualty. It is one of my favorite flavor-wise mechanics to be released from magic in a very long time. And I would argue within my top five favorite mechanics. What would that be? Up, yeah, sorry to cut you off there, but what would that be rubbing shoulders with mechanics-wise? You don't have Ooh. to name all five, but just like some of the others, just to have a frame of reference. Oh, I, I love Delve. I know how broken that mechanic is, but I love Delve. I think it works very well with Soul Tie. And I felt it was very thematic within that set. Uh, I do really like Bestow. Bestow is fun. The original Feros. I wish they had done more with it. Feros being one of the first sets that I started with when I began playing Magic. Uh, Scavenge will always have a place in my heart because Barols was one of my Scar Strikes was one of my first commander decks. And like the first one I actually bought cards for. Very nice yeah. to go on that little memory lane. So Casualty has definitely got a lot of uh, pet favorites to rub shoulders with. But as for the mechanic itself, what what is it about it, do you think? It's, of course, it's not only on black cards. It is also in red and blue because it's from uh, the Grixis Maestros. However, to me, it is such a black uh, mechanic. It is such a black flavored and seated mechanic within magic because the entire ethos of black was sacrifice for power, sacrifice and pay the ultimate cost to gain what power you can. And there's a couple mechanics, and like obviously the sacrifice cards that we've seen in the past, which like Nantuku Husk, which is sacrifice another creature, gets plus two plus two. We, we've seen these sort of things before, but not really for spells, which is where I feel like this kind of effect should be there, the sacrifice for power. We've seen it in cards like Sign and Blood, where you can pay life to draw cards, but at a cheaper rate. But that still doesn't feel like you are truly sacrificing something. With Casualty, you are literally sacrificing something to gain power and to do something at a better rate. And that feels very steeped in Black's colour identity. And I love how it's been played out here. Very much so. You have the choice to sacrifice something. Like the cards you mentioned with Nantuko Husk or Sign and Blood or effects like that. You're expected to do them. You're expected to feed Nantuko Husk creatures so that it can be the efficient beta we know it is. You're the rate of drawing that many cards comes with the downside of losing that much life. So there's always that side of things. But here you have the choice to literally like, like screw over the, some of the underlings that you work with because you are a ruthless mafia boss trying to gain power whichever way you can. So it has the flavor and the function just meeting perfectly. And it's a very hard thing to balance out, but they've done it with this, with this particular mechanic and makes me excited for one of the commander decks but uh that's something to talk about in another time i would say oh yeah definitely and although we have seen um some people talk about uh the new obnixilis that has casualty x where it will create a copy of itself with x loyalty equal to the power of the creature you sacrifice yep and there's oh, i can't remember what card it was paired with but you could sacrifice the card with like seven power to play it on like turn two or three, turn two. and then and domed them for seven or draw seven cards. That has to be some sort of weird Allosaurus Rider combo, right? It's something similar to that. Yeah, it's not Allosaurus Rider. Um, I'll try and find it for you in our private time and show you it because it's quite funny. <laughs> there's a uh, there's a saying, Commander, that white is the worst color. That's starting to ring less and less and true these days, and I feel like you may have an example for me. And one of the primary reasons for that is because why doesn't have enough card draw? It hasn't no. got enough card selection. It just well, swarms the board. That's it. Yeah, exactly. It gets creatures in play. Multiple creatures, even. And that works perfectly with our next card, Rumor Gatherer. 
one white, white for a 2-1 elf wizard with the new keyword, Alliance. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, scry one. And if this is the second time this ability has resolved this turn, you draw a card instead. So good. Honestly, like, in any white X massing up multiple creatures deck, this becomes an immediate staple for Commander. I, I would, I have to say that. And I think the white weenie deck that's doing the round and standard these days may consider this, like, potentially, because even up front, it's still card selection, but if you're able to make two creatures on your turn, it will draw you a card. But if you make a third, it's still still continue to scry. Where I think and it's that's not to mention if you can do it during your opponent's turn as well. Exactly what I was going to say. If you're able to make multiple creatures on during your opponent's turns, you'll draw cards outside of your turn sequence as well and continue to scry and card fix. This is one of the times where it feels like Rhystic Studies could have been or the Rhystic Studies effect could have been white, but this is how it sort of reads to me. You're still yeah. playing into white's playstyle where you want to be building an army and swarming the board, but you'll draw it, but you're gathering rumors, you're gathering information in a literal sense within the confines of the game. So it's another excuse of them like bringing together flavor and function in a masterful way. And I can see this card seeing a lot of legs and a lot of play in multiple different kinds of decks. Definitely, I can see seeing playing standard, either main board or inside boards, and I can definitely see the scene play in Commander. But how else will we swarm up creatures in Limited? I feel like you may have some ways to tell me. We're looking at more uncommons. Oh, we have one final uncommon for now, and it is the card I feel. If you see this in your draft pack, and it's pack one, pick one, and you're Rare or Mythic isn't top tier, win the game, win the, win the sports slam. You probably pick this card, even though it's two colours. I already know exactly which card you're speaking of, and I know why it's terrifying, but we need to unpack why it's terrifying. <laughs> so yeah, I've, this is a breakdown kind of thing. First, it's a two red and a green to cast for an enchantment. So fairly well costed. Quite low to the ground. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you create two treasure tokens. Okay. So you've already refunded half of its cost. Instantly. And now you can sacrifice your treasure to create a 1-1 one, one green and white citizen creature token. Yay! Yay! Yeah, at the bare minimum, you're just turning four mana into two chump blockers, but we know at this point that the treasure synergies in this expansion are very real. Oh yes, very much so. There's so many cards within red green that create treasures. The red green mechanic of the and like archetype of the set is treasures. And just the ability to be able to play treasures means you can also access the other colors with much more ease. And this is before we even get into the rares that synergize with this. And I feel like to truly get the terrifying idea that is stimulus package, there's a card that I realize isn't an infinite combo, but is an infinite loop across turns, an infinite resource system, which is with the rare card, Gala Greeters. Card's so good that they made the, the, uh, the box stopper with multiple different artworks. Yes, they have. Which is one in a green for an elf druid, which is 1-1. One, one rare alliance whenever another creature enters the battlefield under control choose one that hasn't been chosen this turn put a plus one plus one counter on it gain two life or create a tapped treasure token now what this means is that with your stimulus package in play you can make a one one by sacrificing a treasure from playing the stimulus package a creature will enter the battlefield triggering alliance on the garlic greeters you can create a tapped treasure token. It then passes to your opponent's turn, where you can then sacrifice that treasure token to make a 1-1, one, one, triggering Garlic Greeters to make another treasure token. And so every turn cycle, you are creating a 1-1 one, one for free. The, uh, the printing choice on Garlic Greeters to make a tapped treasure token should feel like a downside, but not with, uh, not with Stimulus Package, not when you lay it out that efficiently and cleanly. Nope, and there's also another card that also fits in, and it's just a pure curve 
of value, which is ridiculous. Of course, this is a rare. You may not necessarily see this within your draft. But Stimulus Package by itself with the red-green treasure support is absolutely ridiculous. The amount of value you will gain from just creating 1-1s that can chump block or attack. Alongside the citizen uh, synergies within the set is unreal. Yes, and of course there is a way to fill out this curve from 2 to 4 with a free drop in Professional Face Breaker. Yes. Not only can we turn our treasures into creatures... And also turn them into more cards. So that you don't feel behind on gas, so that you always have something to go on. And also very easily just makes treasures. Not when the Facebreaker deals combat damage, just whenever one or more creatures deal combat damage, you get those treasures. And you can sacrifice a treasure to exile the top card of your library, and you may play that card this turn. That is such a ridiculous curve to get garlic greeters into professional face breaker and just this package honestly and like, yeah and like you don't even need face breaker you could go uh garlic greeters into jewel thief into stimulus package face breakers is, is the yeah yep yeah, face breakers is the consistent way to generate you treasures which is definitely preferable but uh jewel thief like has the better stats i would say and yeah, like coming along with that one extra treasure just in a general is also only a common, which is a big distinction. The fact that with this lineup requires two rares and an uncommon, whereas the other one requires one common, uncommon, and rare. And then there's plenty of other ways of creating treasures within the colors. Some can do it every turn, some can do it upon entering the battlefield. It is truly ridiculous the amount of card draw and creatures you can generate through treasures in this set. Really, there's um, a wider sort of problem with this, given that treasures are almost evergreen at this point. There's the more treasure cards that we consistent consistently see print, the more effects like this there will be. I think this is like a such a treasure focused set because it's three colors and you need the fixing, especially for limited, but. Hopefully in future expansions they'll just slow the trickle, just cool the jets a little bit, but honestly you can like tell with I think you can tell with design these days. I would like to agree, but I have been that in the next Commander Legends Baldur's Gate well Battle of Baldur or whatever the name is. We're probably gonna see a lot more treasure because Dungeons and Dragons and Treasure go hand in hand. <laughs> First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I Am The Night. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones, I am the knight. Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Mad Pup, a Harley Quinn cast. Harley Quinn? Harley fucking Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making bat shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh, look, Gogurt. And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up the bat, I'm nuts. I definitely do not fuck bats. In need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't fuck with Lois Lane. For fuck's sake. I'm a damn good cop. Lot of lasers. Mmm. Educational and informative. The DC Comics News Podcast Network presents Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast. <laughs> Back to you, Seth. So, tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from everyone out there. Or not. That's really up to all of you. Fuckers.
Picture this, someone who knows nothing about comics. Someone who knows comics from movies, TV and video games. A complete ultra comics nerd. You pick the character you want us to talk about. You send us the questions you want answered. You make the show. A podcast by fans. For fans. Making new fans. Superheroes. Or dummies. Part of the Comics in Motion podcast network. In a world of stereotypes, being called a geek comes with a certain image there is still that ingrained thing within me that is a little bit embarrassed about it in reality geek culture has never been more mainstream and behind every geek is a real story my dad was the one who got me into star wars and things join me your super dummy paul as i continue my learning experience and talk to the real people i'm a secondary school teacher so i teach 11 to 16 year olds in english hear their stories exclusively on fantastic universes he's one of them like you've ever gonna grow up and i'm like no why should i i, I like my life I, I enjoy what i do this is my hobby available on all your favorite podcast catchers Hi, my name's Steve, and I'm here to tell you all about the DC Comics News Podcast. Every week, my friends and I sit down and discuss everything DC. Movies, TV and streaming, comic books, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. <laughs> no, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Whatever the case, you can find the DC Comics News podcast on every podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere else you find podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. <laughs> Hello, listeners. This is Tony Farina from DC Comics News and an occasional guest on Comics in Motion. I'm pleased to announce a new show called Indie Comics Spotlight. Each week, my guests and I will be taking a deep dive into a current title or a classic graphic novel from a publisher other than the big two. Consider this show the best of the rest. My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher. least favorite cars in this set interesting because in these in these sets there's rares there's mythics commons non-commons but not every card can be a windmill slam and home run and here we have a rare from a cycle now some people may disagree with me and say there's another card from this cycle that is much worse and i would disagree i feel like that card is playable with and can be Played around with. However, this card I feel is so weak and frustrating for its comparison to the others within its cycle that it requires a special shout out. And that is Cabaretti Ascendancy. This is. Yeah, this is a hell of a call out, but uh, you're willing to defend the fact that it's not as strong as everyone says it is. Wait, people are calling this strong. People are people are defending this card. It's it's the other. It's not the best ascendancy by any means, but uh, people are willing to show it a little bit of love. Right. Okay. So it's for for the audience. It's red, green, and a white from enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, look at the top card of your library. If it's a creature or planeswalker, you may reveal it and add it to your hand. If you don't, you put it, put it into your hand. You may put it on the bottom of your library. So you can either scry with it, or you can add it to your hand if it's a creature of Now, I hate this card. <laughs> I, I absolutely hate this card. There, we have seen this effect before in the past, uh, in some in cards such as a Carol's Horn, which also does a cost reduction, and isn't but only affects a specific creature type. Uh, 
as an artifact. We've seen this in black with cards like Bob and Dark Tutelage, but at the cost of life. Uh, there is uh, a green card, which if you reveal top card, if it's a creature, you can put it to play. This card is so frustrating to me because of how boring it is. <laughs> and it's so boring. It's in comparison to the other ones. So my the one that I would go to as an instant, oh, this is the comparison I would make, is to Broker's Ascendancy. The first card we got spoiled for the set. Mm. Broker's Ascendancy is green, white, and a blue for an enchantment. At the beginning of your end step, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control and a loyalty counter on each planeswalker you control. Now, I... <laughs> Sorry to cut you off there. Um, a friends of mine have said that they love playing against my Atraxa deck because I'm one of the few people out there that plays Atraxa as a mid-range counters company style deck and not as a gross stacks thing or as a gross infect thing or as a gross super friends thing. So when I saw this card, I was very excited and I'm still... And I still have my uh, shopping basket ready to go with this and the Triomes just ready to go. So yeah, Broker's Ascendancy is definitely one of my top picks for the set as a whole. So by comparison, Cabaretti isn't great, but I'm still willing to defend it, as okay. despite how much you hate it. Okay, so so that's just one of them. So that one's very powerful, right? Broker's Ascendancy. Incredibly powerful. Yeah, but that one, that's of course once per turn, and that affects all your creatures. So now let's go to one that... um. Perhaps it requires a bit more building and a bit more um, actual thought into the card, right? So we next have River Tears Ascendancy, which is the Jund for an enchantment. Whenever you sacrifice a creature, you may return target creature color less a mana value from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Do this only once per turn. See, now to me, this just turns every creature into a non-artifact mirror retriever. Which is an incredibly powerful effect, even if it's once a turn, even if it's just tapped. Like we we saw this in um, Zendikar with the black white cleric legendary creature. Yes, exactly. You can return whenever a creature a cleric die, you got one that costs less. But that's interesting as a build around card, but it still feels powerful, and you can play with it and use it, and it still provides you value. Maestro's Ascendancy, Grixis, Enchantment, once during each of your turns, you may cast an instant sorcery from your graveyard by sacrificing a creature in addition to paying other costs, and then it's exiled after being cast. It requires a lot to make that work. You require an instant sorcery in your grave and a creature, but it lets you flashback. I'd say, personally, Maestro's and Brokers are tied for my picks for Ascendancies because I'm still oh. very much of a mindset where I play a lot of Mizzix of the Is Magnus and Kester is just an amazing commander so an effect like this I just get very happy about I will probably play this card to high heaven because honestly in a deck where this card would be good in a commander deck where this card would be good I'd be playing stuff like Young Pyromancer Towerrand, Metallurgic Summoning stuff like uh, uh, Dosen of Perfection stuff like that where I'll always be some stuff to sacrifice in addition to paying the other costs so it's not a downside to me Oh, definitely not. It's one of my favorite cards in the set. It's my favorite ascendancy, but it makes the point clearer. These cards are doing interesting things or providing you value that are flavorful. Even the broker's ascendancy doing not exactly the most exciting of things by just placing counters, but a very powerful effect by placing a counter on every creature you control. Cavaretti's ascendancy doesn't feel very flavorful. You're adding someone to the party, I guess? But only one person a turn, maybe, if you only have creatures and planeswalkers in your deck and you don't hit a land or one of your other Cabaretti Ascendancies. Because if you're playing it as a four of in a non-commander game, then you are potentially bricking it more for your land in itself. It also doesn't do much. You are getting one card a turn. Maybe. Maybe. It is fully feasible to play this card and every single turn afterwards hit a land. When you frame it like that, that does make it sound really bad, but this is an, an old adage that we've discussed about on the show and off the show. 
a lot of Magic's design focus these days is on Commander first, then Limited second. Okay. In, 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 in Limited, you're playing majoritively creatures anyway, so in the turns where you want a land, you're fine to scry up a land and add it to your hand. In the turns where you don't want to land, this card still sends it to the bottom. Then for the majority of the time, you'll still be adding creatures to your hand. This is my chance to try and defend this card. Okay. Um, in Commander, in Naya, or Naya plus another color, you're playing this in a deck with a strong creature focus, or potentially a strong Planeswalker focus. So this yeah. will two-thirds, three-quarters draw you an additional card. That's, that's enough of a rate where it can still hold its worth. In 60 card constructed, where you have multiple copies of this card, yes, the card is garbage, because you will whiff. But in okay. the decks where it wants it, it will draw you additional cards. Okay. Mara Bustle. In Commander, why are you playing this over your Lifecraft as Beast Jerry? You're playing it in addition because you really want to smooth your draws because you built your deck badly. Oh, sorry, I can't. Oh, you got me there. You really got me there. <laughs> like Lifecraft as Beast Jerry is free mana for an artifact, so you don't even have the tri-color requirement, which helps. Uh, you scry every turn, so you you always get in that scry, and every time you cast a creature, you can play it a green, just a green, to draw a card. Which means you could draw two cards, three cards, one card a turn, more. I'm just speaking from a place where I'm a frustrated game designer and I wanted to try and play Devil's Avocado. It's really hard to defend a card like this when you lay it out like that. Oh, oh it's fine. There's another card, there's another ascendancy that I haven't mentioned yet because yeah. everyone calls it worse, but I think it's more interesting. And then, okay, so for limited, comparing it to the prior three that I've mentioned, the Brokers, the Brokers, Maestros, and Riveteers. This is the only one that does nothing to turn you play it. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, taking three mana off in limited is really bad. So, because the others do require more things to do, like other creatures and such, so I'll break this down. So, Cabaretti versus Brokers. The turn you play Brokers, Say you played a two drop or a one drop, or even you top deck it later in the game. This is where it's also really important. Later in the game, say it's turn seven, you've got a board stall on. You top deck brokers, you play it. At the end of your turn, all your creatures get plus one power, which could break the parity, meaning that you are now ahead in the board stall, or making their blocks worse or their attacks worse. You play Cabaretti after turn six or seven into a board stall. And you will pray that its dry effect or maybe adding a card will break it. But that's next turn. Brokers instantly makes their next turn harder. Cabaretti might make their next turn harder. Well, turn after next turn harder. Riveteer's Ascendancy. You play it on your turn. You, you typically won't play this on turn three. This is definitely more one of those ones you want to draw later. You have a sack outlet plus creatures. The turn you play, you can instantly sacrifice a creature to gain value from it. And then during your opponent's turn, you can then also sacrifice a creature to gain more value from it. Cabaretti sends you still in the same position. Riveteers has a massive wealth of ability around it, especially when you consider how Blitz works in this game and mm. in this set. Remember that black common I mentioned earlier? That was a five drop? Yeah. Blitz it for four. You've got seven mana. You play this plus that. You can then attack, swing for a four-four, sacrifice to get a two-two, draw a card, and get a four drop or less from your graveyard for that to attack. Lots of value there. Yeah, by comparison, then, doesn't really hold up. Yeah, and then Maestro's Ascendancy, having a free Kess every turn is powerful. Yes, you have to sacrifice a creature, but we've already seen there is sacrifice fodder out the wazoo in this set. With the civilians as well as within the sack outlets and sacrifice fodder. But every ascendancy 
good or bad, has its brother that everyone hates, whether it's good or bad. And that is Obscura Ascendancy. The one that gets the most hate, the one that everyone says is unplayable, even more so than Cabaretti Ascendancy. Cabaretti Ascendancy, you can at least turn around and say, well, it might draw you a card. It might get you a Planeswalker. It will scry you cards. Obscure Ascendancy is Esper for enchantment. Whenever you cast a spell, if its mana value is equal to the number of soul counters on Obscure Ascendancy plus one, put a soul counter on it, then create a 2-2 white spirit token with flying, and if it has five or more counters on Obscure Ascendancy, all spirits you control get plus three plus three. Now the problem with this card is of course you have to play a 1 mana spell, then a 2 mana spell, then a 3 mana, then a 4 mana, then a 5 mana for it to get its value. And then 6, 7, 8, etc. To keep making spirits. So it is templated that way, so you have to go up the ladder like uh, Imminent Doom from uh, Hour of Devastation. Yeah, which is not fun. It's pretty abysmal. However, then you think about it. This does have homes. And it has homes where it can probably do more work than Cabaretti Ascendancy can do. As an example, as you've already brought her up, Atraxa. Okay. Hmm. I mean, maybe if you're able to effectively, like, put the first counter on it and then start proliferating up and then like, cast spells under it to make more tokens, but then again, you're losing the second clause. I'm wondering if there's, like, a dedicated Esper Spirits commander. And that's, and that's where I was going to say, is there's a lot of really powerful spirits in uh, the Four Colors of Attraxar, and as well as a lot of counter synergies within those spirits, especially the green ones from old Kamigawa. Right. You can also play cards like Abzan Ascendancy in that same deck. Oh, yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. You then get access to cards like Hallowed Haunting, which makes a spirit cleric. But that's more enchantment-based. But yeah, you can build a Traxxas spirits. The, uh, the most and interesting way to build a Traxxas, huh? Ish. And yet, yes, we are creating this brand new deck for Obscure Ascendancy, but that's still more interesting to me than what Cabaretti Ascendancy is doing, where you're not really making a new deck to play it. You're playing Naya when you play it. Yeah. Even if a card is, like, bad on its front face, even if it's still sparking up conversations where you want to try and build around it, and then you find ways where you can build around it, then it's a unique design that is still noteworthy, at the very least. Uh, yeah. Cabaretti's is just a, an, an okay-to-bad draw engine, sometimes. Yeah. We've gone through quite a journey across the streets of New Capenna. Um, were there any other mentionable highlights you wanted to talk to? Because I think we... I think there's one cycle of cards that are very important that must be talked about. <laughs> the most, the reason for the set to exist, basically. I mean, within a, in a turn of speaking, yes. And the cards that every modern player is clamoring for, mm. the triomes, or as they are now known by their headquarters, or as a whole cycle, the tricycles, because they're three colors and they cycle for three mana. Yep. Which is uh, Rafine's Tower, Xander's Lounge, Zyatora's Proving Ground, Jetmir's Garden, and Spara's Headquarters. The final five cards from the cycle of Triumphs that we had back from Ikoria, fulfilling the Esper, Grixis, Jund, Naya, and Bant color cycles. They've seen a lot of play here and there in uh, uh, domain-style decks in modern. Uh, anything that was playing Prismatic Ending, really. It's... Uh... Very nice to see a full cycle completed. I know that when I was per doing my Ikoria purchases, I picked up my sets of the uh, the Triumphs back then because I knew they would maintain value and I was right to do so. So this was one of the first sets of cards that I like snapped into my 
shopping basket. And if you're able to do so, dear listeners, I encourage you to do the same. These will hold their value. Oh, yeah, especially showing what the original Triumphs did. They've all held five, six plus pounds values across the board. Especially if you were to go for the uh, special artworks, the extended artwork that they have done. Yeah. I bought the uh, comic book style artworks for the uh, Triumphs for Ikoria, so I think I'd have to do very much the same for the uh, these Triumphs right here. They're very strong and will definitely hold their value, and they just look amazing, to be honest. I I'm glad that they finished it so early, because sometimes we have to wait years yeah. for them to complete these cycles. So I for them to complete it within a couple, I'm very happy. Within one year, even because I remember the uh, the fast lands like Dark Slick Shores and the two or fewer other lands took a while before they got cards like Spybuff, Canal, and Kaladesh. So yeah. they've made a good effort of like completing some cycles. So all we need now are just like enemy tangos and a few others, I'd, I think. And the uh, the bicycle lands as well. Yes, we need a few of those as well. I think the next time that cycling matters in a set, we may get some of those. Well, we we know that cycling, cycling lands at least don't technically matter where well, they end up, as we've seen here, because cycling isn't a big part of the set. It's not a part of the set at all. They're just doing this to match Ikoria, where cycling was a big deal. Yeah, so I believe we can see the uh, bicycle lands for the two color variants in basically anywhere as long as it fits. I probably wouldn't want it in this standard though. No, I think we would need to wait for a rotation at the very least. But uh, at the very least, they'll like fill some purposes that are definitely worth it. Because with the shard focus in this set, that will that will carry on for the rest for the rest of the time that these are in standard. The same way the wedges were very important during Ikoria's time in standard. So yeah, these will see play here and there. Uh, they're very strong lands that will maintain their value most definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for the set, and I'm glad that it's being released and is as interesting as it is. There's a lot of uh very quirky things here, and uh, aside from like some very powerful inclusions that will define modern here and there, and some very wacky cards that you want to try and brew around between the both of us, uh, Streets of New Capenna will be yet another very memorable release for us, dear Magic players. Gotta love it. Very much so. Can't wait for to have some brewing prowess with this set. Yep. And you can definitely catch some of our brews teched and written about, or at least in my parts, written about here on uh, Fantastic Universes and future episodes of the Hostile Takeover. But until such time, I think you have ridden along with us in a bright yellow taxi down the streets of New Capenna, and we're excited to hear. So, listeners, in the comments below or on our social meds do let us know what cards you're excited for in the streets of new capenna and what decks you want to try and brew for and how your limited games have been going but until then honor akari my good pal where can our dear listeners find you and your musings well you can find me on twitter at akari uh, a-k-h-a-r-i-o-u uh, i don't really post there very often but i plan on increasing what i do on there with my writings for uh, either Fantastic Universes, where I am planning to write a quick rundown of the deck that I have brewed for Adam from our last video. It's proven quite a uh, complex list as well as complex lines of gameplay. And then I've also got my own personal blog, which I shall be doing some writings for, which is Perandal's Closet where I shall be talking more of a gameplay design as well as my own gameplays into various card games, be it Flesh and Bloods, Digimon, Magic the Gathering, Vanguard, maybe more for online games, where I'll be looking through stuff such as game design or areas of the gameplay that I enjoy or disagree with. Some hot takes and some deep insights into the many things of cross-card gaming we're all excited to see what uh, my good pal Ikariu has to say. But as for little old me, very similarly, you can find my writings and musings across PC and card and console gaming on fantasticuniverses.com. Uh, for Dungeons and & Dragons and TTRPG flavoured goodness, look to the Apotheosis Studios blog, where I review multiple supplements for your levelling up of 
Dungeons and Dragons goodness. Look to RuneterraCCG.com for news and deck guides on the League of Legends card game and Dark Knight news for my DC comic reviews. Follow me on Twitter at IsItTinkerer. My Twitch on at IsItTinkerer, which is something I'm going to be igniting as soon as I get myself into my own new castle. And many other places to look forth and find delicious content. Just Google Is It Tinkerer or Adam Ray in the search engine of your choice. But until such time as you can, this has been the Hostile Takeover with myself, Adam Ray, and my dear friend, Colin McIndoir, Rikari himself. Thank you for listening, and until next time, live free and play well. See you later.